We've been walking through Second Peter. Uh, it's one of the last books in the New Testament. It's very close to the end of your Bibles. I think four books back from Revelation. That's helpful. Um, but this book, I, I really think this book is a great way to kind of start the year uh, because Peter is all about just doing the basics well, just living out basic things that was very easy to forget. So we've, uh, so far, uh, we've talked about the first basic thing is just growing, uh, growing in your Christian character, that growth in Jesus looks like developing particular qualities in your life. And then second, uh, we grow as we are sure of Jesus' coming as we look towards it. But uh, it would be a, a little naive to think that Christians grow uh, apart from opposition, that Christian growth is kind of easy. That, that you know, I think there's this idea, especially in our kind of Instagram culture, that walking with Jesus is like, like sitting in a craft coffee shop with my cup of coffee and my Bible open and my like, journal that's been very cutely like, written on. You know, like, like that's what it looks like to grow in Christ. Um, and the reality is that oftentimes uh, in the day in which we live, uh, Christian growth is done uh, with lots of opposition, um, lots of things uh, trying to harm your growth. And uh, Peter knows that, and uh, what's in- he knows the dangers. In fact, he, he wrote a whole letter, First Peter, which was about how to grow and how to walk with the Lord when the government is, tr- is killing and persecuting Christians. That's First Peter. Uh, but in Second Peter, we see something even more dangerous than uh, countrywide persecution. And that is false Christianity, hypocritical false Christianity, and the people, false teachers, who teach and preach things that actually lead people to spiritual death. And uh, this morning, Peter's just reminding us of that. It's easy to forget that. It's easy to think that anybody who claims to be a Christian or who writes a Christian book, or who preaches, is genuine. And so Peter is uh, going to encourage us today. So, if you've ever wondered, all right, what the Bible says about Christian teachers who just wake up one day and decide that actually what Jesus said about sex before marriage, or what Paul said about homosexuality, was wrong. God just loves people, okay? He's not really worried about your morality, right? If you ever wondered what the Bible says about that, or if you ever wondered why... Uh, prosperity gospel preachers make so much money and are so popular. Second Peter will help us understand. Uh, just a note before we read, we're reading Second Peter 2 all the way to the end. This is a very, uh, very seemingly strange passage. The language is very colorful and intense, and Peter references the Old Testament almost 10 times. And so uh, if you're not a Old Testament reader, uh, you might be a little bit confused, but the whole point of this passage, and I'll let you know before we read it, we're talking about uh, who false teachers are and how God deals with them. All right? And Peter uses Old Testament story and he uses all sorts of colorful illustrations to describe these people and describe God's dealings with them. So let's uh, hear the word together. Second Peter 2. It's a long passage. We'll read to the end. But false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, 
and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they, that's these false teachers, do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They counted pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, again, these false teachers, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that he's enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the pig, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, Peter's words uh, just seem to come to us from a different world. And uh, we just thank you that your word speaks to us in ways that we do not expect, especially in our culture. Um, it's not very discerning. Um, that it's very polite, nice. Thank you for uh, some truth this morning. We, we pray you'd enable us to receive it, to embrace it by faith, and to... Uh, store it up and to practice it in Jesus name amen group of swimmers sees a dorsal fin pop out of the water 10 feet on their right soldiers in Afghanistan see a 10 year old boy running towards them ignoring all of their commands for him to stop 25 year old finds a random hard bump on his back Baby Christian, brand new to the faith, 
walks into the Christian living section of their local Barnes & Noble. They pick out the book with the shiniest cover that promises them the best life they've ever had. You move to a new town, you find a growing church that has a fantastic website, lots of really nice volunteers, and really great facilities. The worship is fantastic, and up, up comes this guy. He's got a, t- a, a, a tight-knit shirt on. He's very attractive, very charismatic, and he opens the Bible and begins to speak. What do all these people have in common? It's kind of a strange pairing. Every one of them, all right, are greatly in need of discernment about what they are seeing. In fact, uh, their discernment on what they are seeing or hearing is life and death. The dorsal fin could be a shark or a dolphin. The spot or the bump could be harmless cyst or stage three cancer. The child in Afghanistan could be just a really upset little boy or a suicide bomber. And the Christian book with that shiny cover, right, can give you genuine life in Jesus or it can give you death. That sermon, that pastor, he really could help you to the Lord or he really could lead you to spiritual death. You might be surprised that uh, I would compare a shark in the water to a guy opening his Bible. Um, But if the scriptures are true, all right, this is where Peter's coming from, okay? If the scriptures are true, and you are an eternal being, and your forever, your eternity, will either be bliss or torment. And all of that depends. It all depends. Your eternity depends upon if you genuinely know Jesus, and you've genuinely responded to the gospel of repentance and faith. Then, if that is true, there is almost nothing more dangerous than something or someone that promises salvation but does not deliver. Something that gives you uh, a Christianity close to the real thing or something that promises you the real thing gives you something totally fake. That's, That's the most dangerous thing there is. And that reality, if you guys are there, that reality explains how intense Second Peter is. Um, this isn't really a passage that uh, you write on your refrigerator, right? Uh, there's a lot of uh, intense language here. There's a lot of talk about judgment. There's a lot of talk about uh, uh, some really strange and intense Old Testament stories you're probably not too super familiar with. But in a day when Christian bookstores are packed with people that tell you that if you have enough faith, Jesus will give you lots of money and a comfortable life and the American dream you've always longed for, Right? And when really solid, seemingly solid, gifted, charismatic speakers like recently Jen Hatmaker come out and they say, well, you know what? I just kind of, I've been really thinking about the Bible's teaching and I just, you know, God is love. And so I just can't believe in a God who would condemn the homosexual lifestyle. I can't believe in that God, right? In that day, when we have all these challenges to genuine Orthodox Christianity, Peter's words um, are really, really important. So, uh, Peter gives us three truths that come with three encouragements uh, about false teachers and false teaching this morning so that we can thrive and grow in the true grace of God in all this opposition and danger. All right, first, he says, do not be surprised by false teachers. They will be around. They'll be all over the place, all right? First, don't be surprised. Second, don't be discouraged by false teachers. 
God will deal with them. And third, do not be fooled by false teachers. So first, don't be surprised. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. Just notice something uh, in these verses. Notice the certainty. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 1, there will be false teachers. Uh, Notice in verse 2, many, many people will follow them. Uh, Verse 3, these false teachers will exploit you. All right. Uh, He's saying you can be certain about one thing, that if, if you are a Christian and you are living the Christian life, there will be false teachings around you. There will be dangers. There will be people who mislead you. Uh, This is helpful. Sometimes uh, it'd be really helpful if we could know that hard things were coming before they came, right? Uh, So uh, I was writing this lesson on Wednesday, and, uh, you know, we have uh, a newborn baby and three children, and uh, my uh, bride had an especially uh, ridiculous day with them Wednesday, and she was texting me while I was writing this lesson, so I got in here. But uh, here, here's the day. Okay, now we have a newborn, so we're, we're up a little bit more in the night. But at 6 a.m., our five-year-old wakes up screaming bloody murder. We're like, you know, someone's trying to steal her. We're going to, Sarah, Sarah runs in the room, okay? I'm, I'm passed out with an earplug in, okay? Uh, <laughs> and she's screaming, and she's like, she's like, she's like, I want to go to kindergarten. And, and Sarah's like, you're going in 45 minutes. You know, like, I, I don't know, I don't know what happened, but she had this dream, apparently. I don't know. Uh, so fun wake-up call, all right? Um, she gets Kimley out the door at 8 a.m. Our three-year-old wakes up having uh, pooped her pants over the night. So now Sarah has a newborn baby and a very dirty three-year-old to take care of. First thing, there's not enough coffee in the cabinet for that. Then uh, it's Meet the Teacher uh, at, our, at Norris Preschool, which was great. But what Sarah didn't know was that there would be 50 people there, all with their three-year-olds. And so it's just pandemonium, like so many tears and so much running around. And Sarah, again, got this little two-week-old baby to take care of. So just imagine, all right, imagine how different uh, her day would have been if at 8 p.m. the night before she got a text message from the Lord Jesus, okay, that said, hey, Sarah, here's what you're dealing with tomorrow, right? 6 a.m., you better wake up at 545 and get some coffee so you don't kill that girl, okay? All right, 6 a.m., she's going to scream and wake you up, all right? 8 8 a.m., you're going to have to be, you know, get the shower going, right? Get get, get ready for that. Have have the baby taken care of, all right? 10 10 a.m., Meet the teacher is going to be no fun, so have someone watch Benjamin for you, right? Now, uh, we don't know the future details of our days, right? Um, Life doesn't work like that, but there are some things, some things that God in his kindness wants you to know beforehand. There's some things that he's revealed to you that he wants you to be equipped to know as you enter life, and one of them, one of them is there will always be people, whether intentionally or unintentionally, who lie and mislead Christians. When God wants you to walk into the Christian bookstore or scroll on your Facebook feed looking at Christian articles or hear about that latest thing that new, really trendy Christian teacher said, he wants you to do all of those things knowing that there will always be some people who are lying, who are misleading. Uh, notice how Peter connects the past with the present. Um, verse 1, false teachers or false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So this references uh, almost all of Old Testament history. Just to give you a brief summary. God chooses for himself a people. He brings them to a, a promised land, right? And he tells them, 
He gives them a covenant. He says, if you obey these things and you walk in my law, all right, uh, I will bless you. But he also gave uh, his people prophets, people who could speak for God in specific circumstances, men like Samuel. Um, but they literally, literally, prophets would, could, could say things like, hey, uh, king so-and-so, God is going to destroy you because you're doing this and if you don't repent, right? Or king so-and-so, you should go into battle because that's a good thing. God wants that, right? He gave us, his people some extra scriptural revelation in the Old Testament. I don't think that uh, applies anymore. But notice how Peter says, there weren't just true prophets, okay? False prophets arose as well. Good example of this, First uh, Kings 22. Again, I think you guys should read the Old Testament. It's a lot of fun. It's really good for your faith. But there's this King Ahab, okay? He's a wicked king in Israel, and he really wants to go to war. He could get some good, uh, good stuff out of that. And um, the other, another king, the king of Judah, comes and is going to partner with him. He's a little more righteous than Ahab. Uh, but, but Jehoshaphat, the, the king from Judah, he wants to hear a word from God before he goes into battle. He says, hey, Ahab, do you have anybody who's speaking for the Lord? And Ahab, Ahab goes, man, I got 400 guys speaking for the Lord. All right, let's hear them. So he brings all the 400 prophets in, and they're all saying the same thing. They're like, hey, listen, you can go to battle. God's going God's to help you. It's going to be awesome. You're going to crush it. Okay? And Jehoshaphat's a little suspicious because all these guys are uh, so seemingly confident. He says, is there, is there not any other prophets of the Lord? And Ahab goes, well, there's one more, but I hate him because he never says anything good about me. His name's Micaiah. So Micaiah comes in. Jehoshaphat insists Micaiah comes in. All right? And Micaiah, uh, after messing around for a second, basically says, you're going to go to battle and die today. And uh, who do you all think Ahab listens to? He listens to the 400 guys who told him what he wanted to hear. And he goes into battle and he dies. And I think what Peter is saying in our day, if you've got 401 teachers and 400 of them are telling you exactly what you want to hear, something that justifies your lifestyle, that makes you feel good about where you're at, to kind of, all right, and there's one person telling you the hard thing, the thing that really kind of rips you up, all right, most likely, the one person is the person speaking for God. Don't be surprised by that. Second, uh, don't be surprised that the false teachers, uh, don't be surprised by their skill. Notice it says here in verse 2 that they, uh, um, sorry, end of verse 1, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They're crafty. They're sneaky. They know how, they know how to use language. They know how to say little platitudes like, man, well, well, you know, in my view, man, God's just love. He doesn't really judge people. Man, he's, just, he's just love. They know how to say things like that. They know how to twist words. They're good at what they do. Uh, but notice what the false teachers are doing. Uh, they're bringing in destructive heresies. Uh, heresy, all right, is kind of a technical word, but it means any belief or truth that, if embraced, puts you outside of salvation. So now, there are some truths that you can embrace that are strange, okay, that don't, that don't put you outside of salvation, okay? For example, uh, there are lots of people who, in the past, believed that uh, the locust plagues in Revelation 12 were helicopters firing missiles, okay? I'm not really sure how you get there, all right? I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to pre preach that, okay? We'll see later in Revelation when we, when we go through that book. But that's not going to put you outside of salvation. There, there are Christians who believe way different things about how churches run, about um, whether, whether you should baptize believers or babies or, or who should be in church leadership. None of, those, none of those views put you outside of salvation because they don't taint the gospel. Even, even views about, you know, is God sovereign in salvation? Does he choose? Do people choose? Even views like that. I, I, I'm pretty, 
pretty solid in my convictions that God is sovereign, right? But, okay, believing different things about that does not put you outside of salvation. But any belief um, that gets the gospel wrong puts you outside of salvation. A great example, you've probably had Jehovah's Witness knock on your door, all right? And they believe that Jesus was a created being, okay? That he's not very God of very God. That's heresy. That puts you outside of salvation if you embrace that. Uh, additionally, um, the interesting thing in this passage, though, something that we may not consider is that heresy is, most, is more often moral than it is theological. Notice, in, uh, again, in uh, verse 2, what are people following from these false teachers? Their sensuality, their love of pleasure, their sexual immorality, right? So a great example of heresy in our day is, hey, listen, it's, you know, marriage is like, it's pretty, uh, not having sex before marriage is pretty outdated. I mean, I think, I think God's going to be gracious, okay? Don't worry about it. Right now, I'm not saying there's not forgiveness for people who have blown it, right? We've all, people have been there, right? The Lord is gracious. However, someone who tells you that you can live in unrepentant sin, no remorse, no desire to change, right? And still be saved, right? That's heresy. Why is it heresy? Because Jesus, in the gospel, right, he calls people to trust him and to turn away from their sins, right? When you come to Christ, all right, you're, the rest of your life, right? You're embracing that the cross of Jesus is enough for me no matter where I've been, no matter what I've done. Right? I trust him. He forgives me. But I also, I repent. I turn. Okay? My, my life turns back to God. I struggle. I limp. I fall. But I'm turning. Okay? And any heresy that says, hey, you don't need to repent of this. This isn't really a big deal. Right? You miss salvation because you miss faith and repentance. hope that makes sense. But there'll be, there'll be false teachers who very skillfully very successfully will bring in teachings into the church like, hey, the standard is not really that high. Listen, you can love Jesus and just do your own thing. All you got to do is just confess, intellectually assent to Jesus, and then live life how you want to. There'll be lots of people who say things. They'll be on Oprah. They'll make bukus of money. Many Christians will love them. And the Lord wants you to be aware of that. Just notice the third thing. We won't stay here too long, but notice also, don't be surprised by the success of false teachers. Many will follow their sensuality. They will exploit you. They'll be the most successful, well-known people sometimes. Okay, so uh, just an application specifically. Um, the Lord Jesus loves you enough to speak really plainly and really sharply, right, about the truth. We love people. God is kind and good, okay, but anyone, right, who, who teaches or who says things that lead people away from Christ, right? God wants you to be aware of that. He, he wants you to understand that often when you're scrolling through your podcast list, right? When you're reading books, when you're talking to your friends and they say things, oftentimes it will be the presence of false teaching. Just a couple of specific encouragements. Uh, be very careful uh, when you are hearing the scriptures, whether in your own life, uh, people and preachers can lie. Maybe a great question, okay? When you're hearing someone teach the word or you're hearing someone uh, talk about the word, are they actually teaching what this passage says? Now, passages, again, like Second Peter, they can be hard, okay? But uh, oftentimes, uh, preachers will preach themselves, their own views, right? They'll use, they'll use the Bible 
to say what they want to say, that they won't actually take the Bible seriously? That's a great question to ask. Um, but also be aware of yourself. Uh, if you are a human being like me, you are spring-loaded to justify your current lifestyle. I Sometimes my biggest sin is being in love with the status quo in my own character. And uh, when you find yourself uh, really desiring that someone would say things that kind of take you off the hook, uh, you want to be really careful of yourself. You're in danger of embracing false teaching. Uh, and finally, uh, don't worry about the crowds. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard once said that one word of truth outweighs the whole world. Just because millions of people think that your views on marriage are crazy does not mean they're not true. Right? The Bible is very clear. Uh, truth will be opposed. People, people oppose the truth because they love doing what they want to do. So don't, don't worry about the crowds. And all this, guys, be aware. Don't be surprised. But second, okay, uh, oftentimes when we are alerted to something that's not good, uh, it's very easy to be discouraged. Um, when you know someone, you think they're, I, I just, I've had many conversations with people like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm like, oh, man, this is great. I don't have to do evangelism, right? I'm just kidding. Um, but, um, uh, but then you start talking to them and you realize, I think this person is not who they say they are. That's discouraging, right? That's hard. When you have friends who are struggling, when, who are under the influence of false teaching, that's, that's tough. Um, so the second thing Peter says is don't be discouraged. Um, God is going to deal with false teachers and he's going to protect you. So notice, uh, notice what Peter says first about all these successful and skillful false teachers. Into verse 3, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. In other words, uh, God's judgment on them uh, is active even now. The guys who uh, are making millions, who have millions of followers on Twitter, who are super popular, who are on Oprah, life's great for them right now because of their false teaching. Okay, God's judgment on them is active. God's not up in heaven being like, oh, it's not really a big deal to me. It's okay they're misleading people. That's fine. He's not been having saying, oh, my hands are tied. I can't help. No, he, his, his judgment on them is active. Uh, they are not going to get away with this. And um, Peter makes a really interesting argument here. This is the most fascinating part of the passage. Uh, well, there's other parts too, but um, he catalogs a series of Old Testament events where God actively judged in history to prove that God will judge false teachers. Uh, first, the first one's the hardest one, and then the rest ones are a little bit more well-known. Verse 4, if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness. This, this probably is not specifically mentioned in the Old Testament. It most likely is referring to uh, Satan's rebellion against God, which we hear about in Revelation 12. But uh, the idea here, it could refer to a story in Genesis uh, 4. But anyways, the idea here is that even angels, right, supernatural spiritual beings, who once were glorious, when, when they sinned, when they rebelled against God, God immediately judged them, right? Um, so that's his first and the second. He, he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah. This is the story of Noah's ark. All right, Peter, for some reason, is not talking about all the cute animals on the ark here, okay? He's talking about more of the idea that Genesis 6 to 8 gets at, that, that the world was so wicked and opposed to God that God sent a flood that wiped out most of humanity. He preserved Noah, right? And then uh, in verse 6, if, uh, he, he, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, 
He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Again, in Genesis 16 now, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was full, of, was full of men who were what Genesis called great sinners against the Lord. They were wicked. Um, and God judged them by sending fire and sulfur on their city. Now, uh, there's a point to all these, all right? All these examples point us to verse 9, okay? The Lord knows how to, first, rescue the godly from trials, and second, to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So notice, even though we live in a day where there is all sorts of false Christianity bounding, and the people who propagate it are, quite frankly, popular and prospering, okay? God knows how to deal with them. He's going to act. Um, and second, I think much more encouraging, is that God will rescue you. He will deliver you out of the clutches of false teaching. He'll deliver you from temptation. Um, Notice, uh, I think this is a very interesting, if, you, if you're a careful reader, <coughs> you, you might wonder why in the world Peter would ever call Lot righteous. If you know the story, uh, in the book of Genesis, Abraham chooses one way and Lot chooses to go live in Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, Lot was, did not, does not seem like a very righteous man. Here's how the story goes. He has uh, two house guests who actually turn out to be angels. Again, read the Old Testament. It's really, uh, can be fun and crazy. But uh, the entire town to a man the scriptures say gather around lot's house so that they can uh, sexually assault these two men who have come to live with lot which is really intense and here is what lot decides to do he says take my daughter instead wow uh not the most godly of parenting uh most godly of parenting instincts there right um there, are, there could have been a hundred better things he could do. But the, I think the idea is clear. Living in Sodom and Gomorrah was messing with Lot. We know from this passage that he was genuinely a believer, right? But living in that wicked city was clearly twisting him, right? And we see how twisted he has become when even after the angels announce that God's going to judge the city, he lingers. He doesn't want to leave. Um, and what happens? The angels literally drag him out of the city. And uh, this is a great example of God taking care of one of his fooled and deceived and almost destroyed people, someone who's right on the edge of walking away. And he does something as drastic as, as destroy his hometown and physically drag him away from it in order to save him and to rescue him. And uh, wherever you are this morning, um, whether you uh, are just kind of tried and tempted and struggling or whether you are maybe embracing some false teaching, right? Uh, not living the Christian life as you should, flirting with some really bad things. Know that God knows how to rescue his people. And uh, in fact, he might rescue you in some really shocking, crazy ways for your good. So don't be discouraged. God knows how to deal uh, first with evildoers and also how to rescue his people. Third, uh, don't be fooled. All right. 
The rest of this passage describes how false teachers are false in everything. Uh, they appear to be Christians. They're among Christians. They actually are quite happy among God's people as well. They're bold. They're confident. But Peter says, don't be fooled. First, don't be fooled by their boldness. Uh, look at the, uh, it's midway through verse 10. It's the top of a paragraph. Bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Again, this is kind of a difficult reference, but I think the idea here uh, is that the teacher is getting up and saying something along the lines of, Satan ain't got nothing on me, right? Like, uh, he's blaspheming uh, probably fallen angels here, which, again, is, is pretty far from our world, okay? Uh, but I think the idea of this is they're saying something crazy. Like, you know, Peter says in First Peter that the devil is a lion, that seeks people to devour, that you, should, you shouldn't, you know, you, you should trust Jesus to deliver you, but you shouldn't be uh, cavalier when talking about demonic spirits, okay? Uh, but the idea here is they're bold, and they're willful, and they're confident as they say crazy stuff. So don't be fooled by people who are charismatic and are confident. Okay, don't be fooled, uh, second, by their presence among you in worship. Uh, notice in verse... Uh, 13, in the middle of the verse, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. The, the feast here is almost certainly the Lord's Supper, which uh, in the early church was the center of worship. So the idea is that these false teachers are in worship. They're actually having a great time. They're reveling, right? They're, they're really enjoying it. They're happy. They're engaging, right? They have all the appearances. Do not be fooled. Peter says, in fact, in verse 14, here's what their character is really like. Eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin, hearts trained in greed. Do not be fooled by them. Also, don't be fooled by their teaching. Uh, this might be the most helpful part of the passage practically. Uh, verse 17, he calls them waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. Again, there's so much in here that's hard. Uh, both of those images, okay, are of things that promise life but don't deliver. All right, so just imagine a spring is a place where there's water. Oftentimes uh, in a Middle Eastern kind of desert climate, you'll go a long time, no water anywhere, and there'll be a spring ahead of you, like a little oasis, and there'll be water there. There's life there. Well, there's nothing worse than a waterless spring. Five minutes. Nothing worse than a waterless spring. It promises you life, and you get there, and you're still thirsty. A mist driven by a storm, again, I think the idea here is it promises you rain. It looks like rain's coming, okay? And either nothing comes or a hurricane comes and destroys everything you have, all right? Both of these things promise life and don't deliver. And the idea here is that false teaching, its main characteristic is it promises you life, but it doesn't deliver. If you just try this, right, you'll finally be happy, right? You just back off of all those, uh, all those rules or all those, all those orthodox doctrines, and you kind of just embrace fuzzy Jesus, however you want him, then you'll be happy. Promises life is not deliver. Again, Peter goes on and says, um, in verse 19, false teachers, they promise people freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. I... Uh, I was watching TV the other day, and I saw one of these very effective and powerful uh, anti-smoking commercials. They, they feature people who have smoked their whole lives and have had, uh, had to have their vocal cords replaced by a computer voice box. 
okay? And it's very powerful and very sad. Um, but here's what a false teacher's like, all right? They're like someone speaking through their vocal cord box, all right, while still smoking a cigarette, all right, saying, I have the key to perfect health. That's what a false teacher's like. They actually, uh, they're promising you life while they're living in death. So don't be fooled. Like Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit. Okay, so let me just, uh, you guys might be experiencing uh, what many people have experienced after reading 2 Peter 2 or uh, hearing it preach. I remember one time uh, Buster spent 10 weeks in 2 Peter 2. It was a, it was a good long 10 weeks. Anyways, uh, we'll just forget that. Uh, okay, but something you might be thinking is, okay, Leland, I get it. They're around. It's dangerous, okay, but I'm not, I'm not reading Joel Osteen books, right? I'm not embracing unorthodox Christianity. What does this really have to do with me? All right, what do I, like, how do I, how do I take this in my life and apply it? Aside, aside from just being aware, right? I, I'm going to give you all two questions, all right, um, that I think uh, one of which will certainly apply to everyone, one of which might not. First one, okay, do you have the real thing, and are you growing in it? Uh, this passage describes false Christianity primarily as something that kind of uh, gives a nod to Jesus, okay, but then does whatever it wants. And genuine Christianity always transforms people, right? On the cross, Jesus brought his people to God. If you've genuinely trusted Christ, if you've turned away from sin, right, what's going to happen? Not perfection, not perfection, but transformation. You will not be enslaved to sin. And uh, I know that self-examination can be hard. We are not typically a people who enjoy examining ourselves. But if it's life and death forever, right? Maybe you're someone, man, you've been sort of a Christian your whole life, right? You have that kind of like, well, I've been around, and you know just enough to like pass the new members interview, right? You can articulate the gospel, right? but you've never, you can't look back and see, man, this is when I really my life was transformed. And it's like, yeah, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, right? But I am saying today's a great day in light of eternity to just say, man, do I have the real thing? Am I growing in it? Am I enslaved to sin? Am I, or am I being freed? <clears throat> Many of you have the real thing, and I rejoice with you. If you do, here's the second question, right? Do you know someone who thinks they have the real thing and doesn't? I am almost certain that you do. We all have family members, friends, people around us who think they have the real thing. If you ask them, are you going to heaven, they'd say yes. But if you evaluated their life according to scriptures, you'd say, I, I don't know. We've all got somebody, right, who we know we're kind of like, uh, I just don't know. And listen, guys, if you have that person, right, what it looks like to love them is to go to them, right? Loving them looks like rescuing them from their deception. And it will be messy. That's not, that's not an easy conversation to have. I've had it many times. It's very difficult. It's hard. It's awkward, okay? But loving, loving someone who thinks they have the right thing and who doesn't looks like going to them. All right, so chew on those things. Again, we'll just close uh, with the one encouraging fact that the only reason there can be false teaching is because there is something true. Don't, uh, don't forget that.
The gospel is true. Jesus is a real savior. He really loves and rescues sinners. There really is a way to know him genuinely. There really is a way to find life in him. So do that. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for this passage. Uh, We know that it can feel maybe a little hard uh, when we first read a passage like this that's so intense to thank you. But we we just thank you for, for helping us to understand the world we live in. I pray you help us to be wary and careful and particularly to, to, to love people we know who do not genuinely know you. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.